four of our series on Chronicles. And hopefully things are starting to get a little bit easier as far as the reading is concerned. We've moved into uh, the narrative story portion, and stories are a whole lot easier to read than this person was the father of this person was the father of this person, and a whole string of names that are just unpronounceable. Uh, I tried to steer clear of those for our scripture readings. Um, We didn't always make it. Sometimes there's some names. A helpful hint uh, or tip or trick that I was given a number of years ago is whenever you get to long lists of names like that and you're like, I just, I don't know how to pronounce these. There are some great tools online uh, that you can look up how to pronounce them. But you know, the other thing you can do is just do your best or you can substitute a name that you know how to pronounce. Tom, Bob, Chuck, you know, that's a lot easier to say than who's a mawatsa uh, when you're reading these scriptures. And get to the part of the story. Get to the story of what God is doing in the midst of his people because that's where you got to sit up and listen and uh, follow along with us. So hopefully those names aren't getting too bogged They're not bogging down too much. As we come to our message this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, um, we thank you for this opportunity to be here and to be in your presence. Um, We ask that you would come and that you would speak to us through me or despite me. Uh, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we start into the sermon this morning, I think it's important that we remember a little bit of the context of where Chronicles falls uh, in history, in Scripture. Uh, It's helpful for us to remember some of those things. Chronicles is written following the Jewish return from exile, from Babylon, from Assyria, under Persia. They're given opportunity to come back to their home, to come back to Jerusalem. And they come back to a a temple that is being rebuilt. They're coming back to land that they've heard about in past generations. They've heard stories of Moses. They've heard stories of Abraham. And now they're coming back into this land. And under the Persian rule, as Cyrus allows them to return to their homeland, Jerusalem enjoys a relative time of peace. They're not free by any stretch of the imagination, but it's relatively peaceful. They don't have to fight a lot of wars until the Greeks kind of become in control. And so while the chronicler is very interested in talking about restoring worship as the people come back to a newly rebuilt temple, one of the things that is absent in Chronicles is any desire on the part of the person writing Chronicles to raise up an army to throw off the Persians. There's no talk of revolt, armed rebellion against this oppressor, which in Jewish history is kind of unique. Under, uh, in Egypt, they talked about being free. Um, under Roman rule, they are certainly talking about freedom and and what that looks like. And uh, under the the Greeks, which is a part of the Bible we don't, or a 
It's a part of history that we don't have in our Bibles. They're actively talking about raising up an army to defeat the Greeks. But there's none of that kind of conversation here in Chronicles. Chronicles fits into the Bible in kind of a, an interesting place. We talked, I think, in week one about how in our Bibles it comes as a part of the history. It comes after the stories of Samuel and Kings, and then we get to Chronicles, which we think is just a repeat of everything that we just read. But in the Jewish Bible, it comes at the end of a section called the Writings. And so Chronicles kind of serves as the end of the Jewish Bible. It's one of the newest books in our Old Testament. And as such, it kind of has a unique theological perspective. The story that we are told in Scripture is one that progresses, one that moves us towards Jesus. And we have to remember that sometimes biblical writers, they're pointing to Jesus, but sometimes they're doing it from somewhat of a distance. They're pointing forward to something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, so for instance, uh, God chooses in Genesis to start to work through Abraham. But the goal is not just the people that descend from Abraham. The goal is not just the biological, anatomical children of Abraham. God chooses to work through Abraham in order to be a blessing to all people. So Abraham is pointing forward. Uh, another instance might be uh, in the Old Testament, we're told stories of polygamy, men having hundreds of wives. And sometimes those stories come without any ethical or moral commentary. It just says this happened. Well, does that mean that that's something that we're all supposed to be doing? Like Abraham had multiple wives. Is that something we're all supposed to be doing? I'm asking a question. Don't leave me hanging here. Woo! All right. No. The answer is no. That is not okay. Uh, and as we read Scripture, we get pointed to this picture of a husband and a wife in covenant relationship with one another being an image of Christ and the church. And so we are being pointed towards the ideal. Another example might be slavery. Slavery is all throughout the Bible. But we have to remember how the writers of Scripture address slavery in relation to the culture happening around them. Where slavery was assumed, everyone had slaves, and it, it often had very little to do with uh, racism. It had a lot to do with um, standing class. Uh, sometimes it had to do with race or what nation you were from, or if you were a conquered people, you could be sold into slavery. And yet Scripture... The very, even in Exodus and, and Leviticus, is calling the people of God to treat their slaves in a very different way. Treat them in, in a different way because remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. And it starts to point us towards God's ideal. But even in the New Testament, slavery is still part of the culture. It's still part of the world. Paul kind of talks, well... Paul talks a lot about slavery in one specific book. He writes a letter to a guy named Philemon. 
who was a slave owner. He owned a guy named Onesimus. And Onesimus runs away from Philemon, and he finds his way to Paul. And he serves with Paul. He's in ministry with Paul. And Paul then sends him back to Philemon with a letter. See, Onesimus has become Mr. Helpful, Mr. Handy, which is what his name means. And he sends him back to Philemon with this letter that's encouraging Philemon not to just welcome a slave back, but to welcome a brother in Christ, someone who is serving and ministering with Paul. This is a brother in Christ, a co-worker in Christ. And so Paul is confronting slavery, and he is pointing us towards God's ideal. He's not there yet, but he's pointing us towards what God really wants for his people. And so we get to this morning. Uh, A theme that comes up consistently throughout Chronicles is this idea of shalom, which we often say is peace. And because of where Chronicles falls in Scripture and when it's written, it really serves as a bridge between the Old Testament, which is full of very interesting stories about war and violence, and we have these stories of conquest of the promised land, and then somehow we get to Jesus. And in the Church of the Brethren, in this peace tradition that we are a part of, We're kind of left sometimes scratching our heads if we're honest with ourselves. Uh, We just want to focus on Jesus, and we kind of go, yeah, I'm not sure what's happening there in that Old Testament. Not sure I can explain that. But Chronicles is kind of a bridge, moving us, pointing us, showing us a different way forward. Okay? So in the last couple weeks, we've heard themes of spirit-filled worship, which sounded a lot like Jesus, meeting with the woman at the well, and when she asks what's the proper way to worship, he says, look, it's not about the place, it's about worshiping God in spirit and truth, which is a theme that we hear in Chronicles, and it seems like Chronicles is pointing us forward. Chronicles has talked about the way we treat foreigners and and strangers and aliens and, and how we're called to welcome all those people in, which sounds a lot like what happens in the New Testament when Jesus and Paul especially start to say, you know what, it's not about just being a Jew, it's not just about following the Torah, it's not about your physical circumcision, it's about following Jesus, and it opens up God's blessing not just for the Jewish people, but for Gentiles as well. And so this morning we're talking a little bit more about this idea of shalom and how Chronicles points us forward. David had this dream of building God a temple. He wanted to build him this grand place where people could come from all over the world and worship the name of the Lord, worship Yahweh. And yet David also had this bad habit sometimes of trusting his own strength, trusting his own strategy, trusting his own military might, and he stopped trusting God. He stopped being faithful to God. And so, for instance, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Satan incited David to, take, to count the people. And what he's doing there is he's not just taking a population census. He's counting fighting men. 
He's taking a military census. He's trying to figure out how big of an army do I have to protect me, and I'm going to trust that. First uh, Chronicles 22, 6 through 12, David is talking to Solomon. He says, then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had planned to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood in my sight on the earth. See, a son shall be born to you. He shall be a man of peace. I will give him peace from all his enemies on every side, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be a son to me, and I will be a father to him, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he has spoken. And David kind of hands things off to Solomon. What's interesting to me is that David is the nearly perfect king in Chronicles. And yet because he trusted his own strength, taking this military census and everything, he's kept from building the temple. And says, Solomon, the man of peace, will be the one to build the temple. And here's where um, us reading this in English, we lose a little bit of something here. Uh, Solomon doesn't sound anything like peace in English. But in Hebrew, Shlomo sounds a lot like Shalom. They look similar, they sound similar. And so there's this play on words. Shlomo will be the man of shalom. Solomon will be the man of peace. See, Chronicles is still in a process. War is still a part of the story of Chronicles. There's certainly uh, defensive battles that are allowed. There's uh, fighting that happens there to protect God's people. But the, the better idea is if you have to go to war, to seek God, to allow God to fight your battles for you. And we'll look at a story next week where God fights the battle for his people. They trust, they seek, they are faithful, and God fights for them. But the best thing, the best gift in Chronicles is to not have to go and fight the war in the first place. It's for peace, wholeness, shalom. That's the best thing that can happen for those that are most faithful. And so, for instance, there's a story in 2 Chronicles 15. King Asa turns to God. He starts to be faithful to God. He takes down the shrines and, and the temples to these other false gods, although he doesn't quite get the job completely done. And that's going to come back to haunt him later. But during this time where he is faithfully seeking God, it says for 34 years he enjoys peace, shalom, rest. There's no one to come and fight because he has been faithful and trusted in God. But Asa kind of relaxes things 
he kind of starts to say, well, you know what? Maybe if I make these treaties with these other kings, just in case the shalom wears off, I've got a backup plan. I've got people to come and fight for me. Of course, he's going to also have to go fight for others if they get involved in battle. And because he makes these military alliances, these treaties, the shalom goes away. He's stopped trusting. He's stopped being faithful to God. So what is shalom? Steve Schweitzer says shalom has at least 14 meanings. It could be a greeting. It could be a good relationship between people or groups of people. It could be a non-anxious presence in the midst of fear or uncertainty. So you have a big test coming up, you've done all your studying, and you pray and you ask God just for peace, for clarity to, as you take a test. And that, what you experience after that, that peace, that's shalom. Or you go into work and you know that there's some kind of conflict going on, there's some kind of stress, and you, you just you stop and you ask God, God, I, I, need, I need you with me through this stuff that's going on. As you feel God's presence with you through that conflict, through that stress, that's shalom. Shalom could be a blessing from God. It could be about prosperity. It could be righteousness or justice. It could be safety, security. It could be an absence of war or violence. It could be about well-being. You know, sometimes we get so busy running all over the place trying to get to this event or that event, trying to make this person happy and that person happy, and we have to just stop, and sometimes we have to say, I just need to take a breath, and I need to take care of myself right now because I'm just being pulled all these directions. We stop, and we breathe, and we can experience God's shalom in that moment. Go out and live as different people. Shalom could be about dying well. It could be something good and favorable. It could be a good friendship or companionship. And we see a lot of these meanings displayed throughout Chronicles. But Chronicles is pointing us forward, pointing us beyond itself, beyond their own time towards Jesus. And Jesus clarifies things. Shalom uh, uh, Chronicles is pointing forward, and Jesus comes, and Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Now, Jesus is giving us a fuller explanation of what God's shalom looks like. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Paul says in Romans 12, do not return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. And as far as it is possible, live peaceably with all. At Spring Creek Church of the Brethren, we are part of a living peace tradition. And we've often focused on peace being this prophetic witness to the world of not engaging in armed conflict. And sometimes all we talk about with peace is not fighting a war. And there's more to it. That's part of the meaning of shalom. And in our current culture and, and the rise of American civil religion in this country, maybe we need that prophetic voice 
to call the church, to call people to a different way to live. The people of God, the, the church, is called to live differently, to live in tune with God. But there's other meanings of shalom. It's more than just not fighting. It can be about seeking justice and, and reconciliation with people. It can be about seeking wholeness of families, wholeness of our community. It's not just about the absence of conflict, but it's more about the presence of Christ. Uh, sometimes in, in the Church of the Brethren, um, we have our preference for being passive-aggressive as opposed to being aggressive-aggressive, right? We all, do we all know what we're talking about a little bit? Yeah, we don't want to fight outward and openly. We just want to do it with cold shoulders and, and not talking to people. We prefer the passive-aggressive kind of conflict. I'm going to suggest that this is still violence. It's still violence. It's not seeking wholeness and reconciliation between people. Biblical peace, shalom, has some big implications for our lives. It should impact the way nations treat other nations. It should impact the way you and I treat people that are different, that are other, that are outsiders. We should be seeking their peace, their prosperity, their shalom as well. It should impact the way we live in our communities as we seek the good of our, our neighbors and those that live around us. And it should impact the way we treat one another. Our world has a lot of conflict in it. I don't know if you've noticed that. You turn on the news and you see politicians yelling, arguing, fighting. You go on social media and you see somebody arguing and, and yelling and putting others down and it's just conflict. And you, I don't know if you read through comments sometimes. It's better just to not. Um, but people just being nasty with each other. And then we have this great new trait, which we think is a good thing in our culture of uh, righteous indignation. And righteous indignation means I can say whatever I want because I'm right and I can be mad about it. There's a time to uh, look for justice and, and to know that you are following God's will. But sometimes people are just nasty about things. And they think because they're right, they can just say whatever they want. It's still conflict, whether it's words or weapons. As the church, into this chaotic void of conflict, of violence of words or weapons, the church needs to speak something different. We need to live and model something different. And in Chronicles, that happens by seeking God and by being faithful to God. That's how they experience shalom. And so is the church. We need to be seeking God, seeking Christ, 
Because better than Solomon, the man of peace, is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He comes and he shows us how to live differently, to live in tune with God, to seek the best for our neighbors, for our family, for our community, and even those that call us enemy. Jesus shows us how to live. And as the church, we need to be speaking and living differently than the world around us. If we want to really be people of peace, of wholeness, of justice, of righteousness, of reconciliation, if we want to be people of shalom, we need to faithfully seek Christ together. That's the only way that we can really experience God's shalom that Chronicles talks about, that Solomon had an experience of, that others who faithfully sought God experienced in Chronicles, and they point us forward to trust and to have faith, to live faithfully in tune with God. That's how we experience shalom. Amen.